The following is not intended for younger audiences. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the one and only Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome, welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. And we have a exciting, fun, enthralling, I don't know, just throwing out some fun words there, uh, double feature for you guys this week but before we get into that i must ask as always a dude too <laughs> how are you <laughs> for context i have a super mario cup in front of me and so i've been doing mario impressions for like a hot second <laughs> i'm gonna turn off my let me see. All right, I can see you a little better now. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, boy. Ugh. Oh, boy. All right, well, how am I? I'm just... This is what you get, folks. Yeah. How, how are you? Tired. Um, mm. Tired. It's, it's really... You know, not much... Uh, I can say other than that right now. Um, just waiting on some, uh, some developments. Uh, see what happens with that, but... Um, as far as the recent things I've done, uh, what have I done recently? Well, I, oh, I do want to talk about this. Uh, I went to New York. I went to New York City. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I, ba- I, I did a treat myself, basically. So I went to New York. As you should. Uh, because at the Lincoln, uh, Lincoln center for film like you know because lincoln center's got a whole you know it's got theater you know all that other stuff but it's also got movie theaters there and um they were having a todd browning like sort of series called unspeakable and i wish i could have attended more of the screenings they had um let me just my gain is really Turning the game down. Yeah, this is the kind of show this is today, folks. Um, <laughs> Watch it go from, well, you know, I'm doing to, well, you know. It turns into ASMR at this point. Just, well, you know, I'm just, man. But, <laughs> but I, I went to, I wish I could have gone to more of these screenings. They had like Freaks, Dracula, in 35, in 35 millimeter prints. Um, some of them did not have 35 millimeters, but that leads to the movie I saw. Which is a movie I showed you not that long ago called The Unknown, uh, starring Lon Chaney Sr., Joan Crawford, Norman Carey. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And, um, we're, I mean, with any silent movie, we're lucky to have it survive in any form. And for a long time, it was somewhat incomplete. It was like a 50 minute, 50 minute movie until 
recently materials were discovered in a uh, film archive and uh, they found more footage. So it was it's it's over an hour long now, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. And uh, it was just really cool to see that uh, to ha- to see it on the big screen with a basically packed house. Um, it's always cool to see old movies with a crowd because I'm so used to just watching old movies just by myself, right? Or with like one other person on my TV. But it's always a thrill to see like see an, see an old movie and people react to it, um, you know, whatever way they do. And uh, also to have a live musical accompaniment, uh, Donald Sozin uh, did the music for the for the screening. He did did it for some of the other screen the other screenings that they had there as well for the other movies. I was just really glad I got to catch it. Um, it was a really great um, great time. I would love to see other things at that theater again. I really liked that venue. I think it was the Walter Reed um, at the you know Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, other than that, uh, you know, I was just just been just trying to just do my thing and uh, you know slowly but surely editing episodes for context uh, we're about to put out our 10 commandments uh prince of egypt episode yeah oh um, that was that was a fun one to record admittedly yeah that was that's that's a favorite of mine i think i had a lot of fun re-listening to that episode honestly just uh the the it's everything that goes in, i hope you guys like it if you if you listen to it it's yeah there's a lot that went into it it is a longer episode than normal but it was fun. Agreed. Um, but beyond that, that's that's all that's going on in my life. How are you doing? Uh, you know, little of this, little of that. <laughs> sometimes that and this is good. Sometimes it's not. You know, I I'm dealing with a couple of things right now. Um, just trying to figure stuff out in that regard as well. Right. As you know, we've talked about this. Uh I've mostly just been spending my time just buying movies. <laughs> really, I don't know how I have the money for it, but you know, I—it's nice to get tipped <laughs> when you're when you're working the bar and you're like, you know, I got a couple extra bucks. Maybe I can get myself a movie. Yeah. Um. And this this past week, a lot of stuff came out, and I haven't gotten all of it because it's supposed to. The last thing is supposed to come in the mail tomorrow, but I got uh. Uh, I got the new 4K edition of Cinderella from uh, Disney Movie Club. Um, I watched a little bit of it. I haven't watched all of it. Um, admittedly, Cinderella is not like one of my all-time favorite movies, but it's it's definitely it's definitely a good movie, um, and it looks really good. Like the like the 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 process they actually went through to make it look as good as it does is pretty impressive and it's nice especially from Disney when you get a home disc release and it actually like looks really good especially when it comes to 4K cuz like 4K is like you know for them it's just been a little bit on and off and this is a an exclusive i think this is the first time they've ever done a 4K an exclusive to my knowledge. I think it's i think it's supposed to come out at some point to the general public. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I think it's great. They're making that available to, um, 
club members first, but I also have seen a couple screen grabs, and screen grabs, you know, they're not always the most reliable, but from what I've seen, it looks like they restored a lot more of the detail, because it seemed like with Blu-ray, like, especially, like, a lot of the detail they get scrubbed away, these things were made on film, Yeah, this is like, you know, and and it's nice to see to have something look a little bit more natural. It it looks really good, honestly. I sent I I sent you a little clip, but I've, but again, just like with the screen grabs, you can only get so much from someone sending you a video clip of a 4K thing that's not like its true form. Um, it looks a lot more blue in the video I sent you, but yeah, like just the details. Really, I sent you the bit when she gets the dress, the iconic dress, bibbity bobbity boo, that whole thing. Yep. Um. And it's one of the f- it's one of the few times uh, from Disney where it says on the bottom of it Ultimate Collector's Edition, where I feel like that's an accurate representation. <laughs> and I like the slip cover for it a lot. I like the white on top where it says the 4K logo and it says Disney 100 on the bottom. So that's really nice. Sure. Yeah. I picked up uh, the new 4K release of the Lighthouse from A24. Um, I, I've never purchased for a long time. I'd never purchased a single home release from a 24's website. And now I own four of them. (laughs) Cause you have, I would assume you have Marcel. I have Marcel shell. I have Midsommar. I have green Knight, And now I have lighthouse. And I honestly, I recommend it because I think they put a lot of care into their releases. And I mean, you know, Joey has the Midsummer one, so he knows what I'm talking about. That one's a bit, you know, weird, but I almost think that's intentional. But it is a bit weird that one. Yes, but the other right. ones, like I've been incredibly impressed by, like the the Green Knight and Lighthouse one, come with like a, a book essentially, like a really well put together book, and it has like production stills and it has storyboards and uh, forwards from other filmmakers, and the discs themselves come with new bonus features. Uh, Green Knight came with a whole new short film from David Lowry, wow. which was pretty wild. Huh. Um, and so, like, they actually go, like, the extra mile. And I know that Arrow, for the UK audiences, was releasing Lighthouse in 4K as well. So it's nice that there's variety for that. But it's it's a really nice uh, 4K setup. And the movie looks great. And it's got Dolby Vision. It's got Atmos. It's got the whole thing. Um, I now own every Robert Eggers movie in 4K too, which is really nice. So I don't have the cool like second sight version of The Witch. I have the original 4K release, but you know it's what it is. I'm just happy to have them. Uh, what else? I have my my little stack here. Oh, you know what? I went to Best Buy the other day because I was going to pick up um, Dead Silence on 4K. It's a James Wan movie, one of his early ones. It's not one of my favorites, but I'm I'm going to own all of James Wan's movies when they come out. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy this. Uh, <laughs> Joey knows this dilemma as well as I do, if not more so. Uh, <laughs> I just used my Disney reward points to get Cars 2 so I could get another <laughs> yeah, Disney, like Pixar movie. And then he, and then and then he completely he completely blanked on Lightyear. I was every, like, "What about Lightyear?" Like, every, "Oh yeah." Every time. Every time we met bring this topic up, I blank out on Lightyear. <laughs> just like, "Oh yeah, that thing." Okay. Um, we'll see. Probably not, but we'll see. <laughs> um but no, like I went to I went to Best Buy and I picked up Dead Silence, and 
they have and right now because warner brothers is doing their 100th celebration as well as disney is and so i guess they have a bunch of warner brothers 4ks at best buy for like 18 bucks each so i picked up 2001 space odyssey i picked up sherlock holmes i picked up inception i picked up uh wizard of oz and yeah i went ham on that i was like oh god why is this here why are they doing this to me i want all of them Uh, (laughs) um i even uh they even had blade the original blade runner on there but i didn't get that one um but i want to so it's that's my eyes on it but yeah it was definitely one because it's funny like i it's funny because i go to like best buy or i'll go to like stores that sell a lot of uh 4ks or physical releases and I'll, and I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to go there today because I'm bored. And I want to see if they change their inventory today. Because, you never, you know, you never know. They might they might change it up, throw something different in there. And every so, and usually I get there and it's like, well, looks exactly the same as it was uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> or it looks exactly the same as it was. And then, like, periodically they'll actually change it up. And you're like, oh, there's some new stuff here that wasn't here before. Like, oh. And so that's, that's essentially what happened. I was like, there's a bunch of movies here I want. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah i went a little crazy and i wanted to get this animated batman movie that came out but uh the problem was on best buy's website or best buy's system i guess because it was supposed because it was listed to come out in the 28th and they had it on the shelf so i was like okay didn't seem like there's a problem but but in their system the guy said he couldn't sell it to me because it was technically listed as coming out on april 4th which didn't make a lot of sense so I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, so then I left because I didn't have time to like, and I don't, I'm not an argumentative person. I don't want to be that guy. Um, but also I had to go to work, so I didn't want to like further complicate things. Um, so then the next day I just was like, could I order it online and just go back and pick it up? And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> nice. So I was like, you know what? Hey, there was a way to do it. And I, there, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So I did the guy, the guy that helped me the previous day helped me again the second day. And I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to make, I don't, like, I'm not trying to come in. Like I'm confronting this guy. Cause he didn't, he's, he's just following what he's only doing what he can do, but I'm coming in here trying to buy this Batman movie again. I'm wearing a Batman shirt, <laughs> which I didn't plan for. And I have a Batman hat that I, again, I didn't plan for, but I, I clearly like, I walked in there and I'm like, Oh God, he's at the front counter. I don't want to just walk up there and and scan this thing and I'm I'm decked out in Batman shit and he's going to think, "Oh, what is this weirdness? <laughs> like what is this why is this guy like being weirdly confronting right now just wearing what he's wearing?" But that's just me overthinking things. <laughs> so it took me a second to actually go up to the register to be like, "Hey, but you know, I like shopping too." So There you go. I did a little bit of that, but eventually I went up to the counter even though I was having uh uh, a really unnecessary crisis of like, oh god, <laughs> this guy's gonna be like, what the fuck? <laughs> but you know, uh, I I I went a little crazy, so now I have a bunch of movies, and then uh, I also got a gift in the mail. Speaking of movies, <laughs> that was very nice of whoever did that. Yeah, this dickhead. <laughs> Call back to a previous episode. <laughs> What a goofball. Yeah. Yeah, this absolute 
wiener nose. I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm a throwing new stuff one. out there. Yeah, right. I thought okay. I thought I'd change it up. I thought of Squidward tentacles. <laughs> uh, but it does lead is to this episode. <laughs> that's, that's, was, that's the point. <laughs> but yeah, this wiener nose of a person. This, as I like to call, a beep <laughs> of a person, <laughs> which is also an inside joke. Um, sent me a a uh, Blu-ray disc for a movie, and he was like, and because he had sent me a message, this person, whoever he may be. Being like, you might be getting, you might be getting a movie on uh, uh, on Monday. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? He's like, well, you know, you might, you might be getting a movie. That's all. Just you know, you might be getting a movie. And I'm like, you son of a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> you silly bastard, you. That's me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's Joey that did all this, yep. by the way. Spoiler. <laughs> And um, part of it is because um, I think, because we had talked about this whole double feature before you sent me the disc. Yes. But the disc was also like Joey's way of, not. it's not Joey's way of saying, hey, let's talk about these movies. It is really just Joey being like, hey, I think you'd like this. I'm going to send this to you. Yeah. I'm going to send you a little bit of me. But there is that, I'm sure there is that like added aspect of like, you know. Yeah, it's multiple, you know, <laughs> two things can be true at the same time. This is, this is very true. <laughs> Though some things are more true than others. <laughs> this is animal farm. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. What kind of nonsense is this? I don't know. You set the disc. <laughs> that I did. Yeah, beep. <laughs> yeah, beep. Oh man. But um, Joey, this is really this is really a you episode. Ultimately, this is speaking of this movie. Yeah. So let me. So I want give give the give the context of this real quick. Uh, all right, give, I, I need to pull up one thing on here. This is, this is gonna make. Did your pants fall down? So, yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was I pat myself on the back for that one. Okay. So here's the thing. We do every episode of this show has some type of theme, right? Yeah. And there's a number of times where we do like, okay, let's talk about a specific director. Let's talk about a specific uh, actor. Let's talk about a specific franchise um, or a specific story. And uh, going back to like directors and actors, like they are very much sort of like the superstars when you really think about it. Like, you know, even though directors are behind the camera, you know, we always often think of like auteur theory as like the director is, is the artist. And he, and yes, you know, there are many people that make up a movie, but a lot of times people will refer to something as like Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's, uh, gladiator. Yeah. Or, you know, like we said with Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, right? Even though there's a whole team of people and they know that and they acknowledge that obviously there's a whole team of people that work on yeah. these things. And it's a collaborative, I, effort. collaborative effort. And I wanted to give, um, a shout out to somebody who doesn't have a lot of like film credits, surprisingly enough, but is an instrumental, fi- uh, a pretty important figure for a couple of big pieces, big big things. Uh, this is a makeup artist uh, by the name of Christopher Tucker, who passed away uh, this past December, actually. Um, rest in peace. And we'll get rest in peace, and we'll get into 
the other, the really, really big thing that he did. But I wanted to get into, uh, let's talk about this first, uh, this movie. This is the one actual movie that we're talking about. The other thing is, yeah. you, well, you'll see what that is. This, um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. And this also might be one of the very few times in history we go through a director's filmography in chronological order, because this is the <laughs> second David Lynch film we've talked about directed by David Lynch with makeup, of course, by Christopher Tucker, as we just said, and, uh, uncre- uncredited, but produced by Mel Brooks. Uh, this is such a strange <laughs> thing, but, but we're getting to it. This is the elephant man. Woo! That's, that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, it, which is weird because when you watch, because like, you think, oh my god, this is going to be a trip. When you watch, you have David Lynch, Mel Brooks. Oh my, on paper, this sounds like the most ridiculous thing. And then you watch it and you're all like on the verge of tears. Now, between the two of us, you are significantly more steeped in the world of David Lynch. I think that's fair to say. That's yes. that's more than fair. <laughs> I've seen three things. You've seen well. Technically, that third thing is like a part of something bigger. Right. And well, because I've because I've seen Eraserhead, now Elephant Man, which you saw before I did, uh, which is which weird. Is, which is weird. <laughs> um, um, Blue Velvet, uh, Dune, of course. Um, Twin Peaks, the whole thing that the Twin whole Peaks. you you experienced all of Twin Peaks. I hope I, there is uh, is it is a lot, but I hope someday, someday, it makes it. But you were saying, um, I I've only seen the first episode of Twin Peaks, which you showed me. Um, I've seen Eraserhead, which we did for the show because of GIF, because he suggested it. And then I watched The Elephant Man because I was curious and bought the the Blu-ray from Criterion Sale, and then I'd watched it, and I was and you hadn't seen it because at that time you weren't going through your big David Lynch phase yet. You were still just kind of it was kind of building to that point. Now you're like full blown. You have there's two movies you own of his that you haven't watched yet, so it's like it's in your watch list. Because I got to watch. Uh, well, actually three because uh, Lost Highway. Oh yeah, yeah. Mulholland Drive. And, um, why am I forgetting the last one? Oh, uh, Inland Empire. Inland Empire. Which just, which just came out. So, like, yeah, between the two of us, like, I don't have any sort of aversion to David Lynch. I just get really annoyed by people that constantly emulate David Lynch, <laughs> I think. Because it's like, listen, you know, you gotta, you gotta develop your own style. You can, you can, you can have inspirations and you can obviously evoke certain, certain other people's styles and nothing's really original at the end of the day, but... You know, like, there's that constant, like, I, I talked about this even with the Racerhead, but there's that constant feeling that, like, because David Lynch is such a specific way that I feel like a lot of, like, film nerds, and especially in, like, the early sort of college days, would try to emulate that style, because it's like, we're going to be so subversive, we're going to be so uh, subjective, we're going to be so, like, vague that everything about what they're watching is going to be just, and then I can't help but sit there and watch it and go, you just filmed yourself making breakfast and then put it in slow-mo and black and white. <laughs> like, like, you just had fun with an editing software is what you did. <laughs> I guess my point is, like, David Lynch feels like he's the only guy that can really effectively do that. 
because it's his thing. He he's the exception to the rule is what you're what you're kind of saying. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's like I think my point is like I feel like people emulate creative other creative people without fully understanding the point, I guess maybe. Sure. Or yeah. it's just, or it's or it's just that um when it comes to someone like David Lynch, like yeah, his 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 approach to thing is 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 very appetizing, I can imagine, for other creatives. Because it is such a uniquely distinct thing, but at the same time, it's just so strange. It's like because immediately you're gonna see it be like that's David Lynch. Yeah, <laughs> like you're just you're just being David Lynch right now. Though this <laughs> movie, it feels as far as the ones I have seen, it feels in some ways like the furthest from from his style. Because this is his second film. His first movie was Eraserhead, you know, and and I'm just imagining Mel Brooks watching Eraserhead. (laughs) Just like, I like this guy. Let's do more. This is a great, this is a great thing, David. Let's make a movie. This was, David, this was the funniest movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Eraserhead the Flamethrower. Kids love this one. We're going to make action figures. Um, But, but it is really, uh, really interesting to to watch this because I think... You know, like, because I never thought about it that way, because I guess for a long time I knew about The Elephant Man. I never put two and two together, and I thought, oh, it's just like this weird movie, but it really isn't that weird. No. Like, weird and, norm- weird and normal are terrible descriptors for things, but I guess, like, there's not really better words. Like, it's it's a pretty straight, for the most part, it's a pretty straightforward movie, is what I'm trying to say. It is, like, it. I feel, I, I definitely feel like it has the sort of vibes aspects that you would expect from david lynch but it is it is more narratively structured because like the whole the whole movie has like it has a beginning it has a middle it has an end you know you get the whole story um but at the same time like i do feel like it still has a lot of those quintessential at least from what i've seen because i haven't seen so much but from what i've seen like because david lynch definitely seems like a vibe sort of guy um it definitely has the like. I think he definitely evokes the vibes that that uh, you would want for a movie like this. And the the whole opening scene is very weird. But then, like, once we get to the the rest of it, then it's like, you know, it it becomes a bit more conventional. But there's still a lot of like emotion and feeling that's on display. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. I do have one question. So the movie is about the Elephant Man, aka uh, Joseph Merrick or John Merrick. Do you know anything about the actual John Merrick, Joseph Merrick? Well, I was I was actually watching a because um, Criterion obviously they stuff their things with a lot of bonus features, and if you click on the thing that says archival, mm. it has a bunch of stuff, and one of them has like a twenty minute like feature at about the real um, John Merrick, though like because there's like a journal that um i think like the anthony hopkins character tre um what's the guy's trevit uh trap trevay trevi something something well, like that anyway like i think when they were mi- 2715 yep. we'll remember yep. so like they crossed they had joseph initially written down but then they crossed it out and yeah. put john so maybe there was like sort of like trying to keep it like an an, an anonymous kind of thing like a john doe yeah and apparently um john merrick also had a sister who also um suffered from 
uh, from from you know somewhat similar or some medical conditions mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it was it, it was interesting wa- watching it just um, uh, watching it from that that point of view because it is like it is just just kind of you know it's like this is a real person and i was also thinking about um i don't know if you ever heard the um the hot and tot uh i forgot her actual name i'm gonna insert it here too but the hot and tot venus so this was a woman from uh, i believe from africa and this was someone who was exploited kind of like you know in in it's somewhat similar or different sense than uh john merrick uh because of their because of their body, because the way their body looked, it had very, very extreme, um, body proportions. And, uh, that was a whole thing as well. So I was, I kept, I learned about that in college and I kept thinking about that when we were watching, um, watching this movie mm-hmm. just again, cause you know, cause when you think of the elephant man, you, you might, if you're not familiar, you might not realize that that's a real, that was a real person. Yeah. And also, you know, like just how we view view you know different people um just in general Mm -hmm. um and also just it also brings up the conversation too like you know the ethics of of presenting uh of of presenting people like they even address that in the movie which let's get into it obviously um so you know anthony hopkins plays this is bothering me let me look up his name travis (laughs) um Trevis, uh, Frederick Trevis. Okay, he's a doctor. All right, um, and you know he encounters eighteen hundreds. Um, you know, a, like a like eighteen hundreds, sort of like a, a sideshow. Um, and there's this the person there's exhibit about the Elephant Man, and he pays to have a private uh, private viewing of of the Elephant Man, who is John Merrick, uh, played by John Hurt. Returning it to our show. Returnee to our show, yes, with, um, and... Four times. Four times, four times, that's right. And, um, so he meets him, and he, obviously, like, he's fascinated, Mm -hmm. for one. He's moved, really. Yeah. Because, like, I remember, like, that whole scene when he has the private showing, and he sees John Merrick, and he sees that it's this, not, not, it's not that he has this, like, sort of grotesque reaction that most people have throughout the film is that he he's shocked but then he's also just very moved and he's also very like emotionally stunted a bit like you like he starts crying you know because like i i i imagine it's not just that he's seeing someone with the deformities that john merrick had but also seeing someone who's put in this kind of position you know like this really sad sort of pitiful situation where you have this ringleader essentially this you know circus guy essentially forcing this person um to perform for people so i i I, like i every time i see that shot of anthony hopkins eyes i can't help but think that there's just so much cooking in there and like there's so much going on, and just, yeah. the, just the the emotional release of that like sort of single tier situation is just like damn, you kind of like, yeah. I mean, but but also too, I think what's what's also fascinating about this movie is just like the different ways um, that John is exploited. Yeah, obviously, because obviously you think if you're just thinking on on paper, like oh, 
being presented as the Elephant Man has to be the worst. No. One. Has to be the worst one. <laughs> but it's but I was thinking about that scene where he um where 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 Travis is um presenting to like the medical medical society or whatever John Merrick and explaining explaining everything and it's just it's so it's so very cold and it's 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 dehumanizing in a different sense. He's 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 being presented like basically fully naked. mm mm-hmm. Mhm to this medical society um, without really any sort of like consent or, or, or any, like, you know, you, are you okay? I mean, he says like, you know, would you mind if I examine you? But he never says, Hey, can I present you in front of this massive crowd of people just to point out all the things that are wrong with you? I mean, it's again, it's like, it's two, two sides of it. Like they're both, both of these, the, the sideshow and the medical society in a sense are othering John, yes. you know, uh, and then there's so like, but uh, there's um, later on too, where it's like uh, the two other separate instances where Travis is, um, you know, uh, that one uh, theater actor goes to visit John and has like a genuine like emotional connection with him, um, and the two and Bancroft does a great great and Bancroft does a great job. She's, by the way. Just no, she is incredible, around. honestly. That's one of the most moving moments I think in the whole movie. It's just when they read when they read Romeo and Juliet together, and you're like, "Oh, dude!" Just thinking about it, like my eyes are getting wet. God damn it! <laughs> um, like you're not you're not an ele- you're not an elephant man. You're, you're Romeo. Romeo. Uh, it's, it's so good, um, but of course because she's so popular now, everybody has to do it, and you know even Trevis gets called out on it. It's like you're just doing the same thing. That they were doing at the circus, but dressing it up differently. Right. And then, of course, there's that piece of shit. Piece of shit that works at the hospital. That just constantly uh, breaks into uh, John's rooms and exploits him and, like, sells viewings with John. And then, like, there's that whole disgusting rave scene where... A bunch of people burst into the room, especially after he was given like a really wonderful gift of a permanent home, um, and it's squandered by all these terrible people just exploiting him once again. And it's yeah, that was a hard. That's a hard scene to watch, honestly. It is, yeah, it is. Um, I was also thinking about too the the interesting thing where like Anthony Hopkins, like he was being asked. I think. Um, the other guy was asking him, like, oh, you know, you never talked about his mental state. And he goes, oh, he's an imbecile. Like, immediately just dismissing, um, <laughs> you know, dismissing yeah. uh, John and then, totally. And then saying, I hope he's an imbecile. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then, you know, when he speaks and, you know, like, there's so many just, like, 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 the mo- like it always is amazing when, like, the other people around him are being moved. Like, I think about what Travis's wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof, that's that's a that's quite a scene. That was the first scene that I think really hit me emotionally, I think, when I first watched it. And even this viewing, like my eyes were just immediately leaking and I looked at you and I noticed your eyes were red a little bit and I'm like, "Joey, you feeling it?" You feel- <laughs> That was hard. That was hard. Um mm-hmm. I know we keep saying that but uh, much praise has to be given to John Hurt, like great John Honestly, Hurt. like he's he's I mean, he's been great in all, pretty much all the movies. 
that we've talked about on the show and many others, you know. I, yes. But oh yeah, I feel like this Absolutely. is really the best. Sh- I would almost argue this is probably the best showcase I've ever seen of his as a performer. Because there's again, he's done a lot of great work, and I do love his performance. But I feel like with this one specifically, it's just so much that he gives with it, and so much that he puts out there. Like it's it's phenomenal, you know. Yeah, and yeah, it's such a, a human like moving performance mm-hmm. too. He's so so like oh my gosh when he speaks, it's it's incredible. Like he's like there's like a list of characters that I would say are like the purest souls of cinema. You know, like I'd put Paddington on that list for example, because it's just there's these individuals that are so pure inside and out that. You know, they every time you see him, you can't help but be moved and, and you love them and you want to protect them. And you're like, I need I want you to, to have nothing but great things. Um, and John Merrick in this film and John Hurt's performance uh, is 100 percent on that list for me because the just the 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 absolute amount of pure joy of just having a conversation because he's never had that before. Because all he's ever known is just being right. beat and being um, uh, dehumanized and being put on display right. his whole life. And so when he has a moment like with that scene with uh, Tre- Trevor's wife um, and he's sitting there and, you know, they're just having a cup of tea. And he's like, would you like to see my mother? And he shows her a picture. She's like, she's quite beautiful. She's like, oh, she's so lovely. You're like, yep. oh, my God. Like you just want to give him the biggest hug in the world because he deserves it. <sighs> yeah, it's that one. The other line delivery that really that that really got me, I think, the most was after they watched the play. Um, <sighs> and he comes home. He's like, you know, I never, I, I never thought the ogre would escape the would would get out of the dungeon. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> just wham. <sighs> but also. In addition to John Hurt, like this also goes into like I don't want to call this an Oscar, like it, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, right. but like it's one of those performances too where I think about there's so many performances where it's like the makeup is also a huge part mm-hmm. of it as well. Not and John Hurt so good, but again Christopher Tucker, his makeup and and looking at it compared to the real John Merrick, the real Joseph Merrick, you know, um, remarkable, honestly remarkable. It's it's pretty it's pretty spot on, honestly, and and it, it doesn't feel like the makeup is trying to be overtly one like like grotesque or graphic or anything. It's not trying to be over the top, you know. It's it's trying to be realistic to what was actually the case with with John Merrick, the real John Merrick, but also, um, just trying to depict like like you don't. Like, admittedly, when you first see the makeup, because it takes a second, obviously, because they're trying to build up to the moment more or less right um but then i almost feel like that's a nice subversion because the first time we truly see the makeup is when the one woman the one nurse walks in and it's not even like a you know dramatic thing it's just there he is Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of moments like that when we first see john in the hood yeah when he's coming he's going when he's being first admitted that sort of look that's on the cover of the box yeah yeah and i I feel like they didn't dramatize that but also the other moment too where where he asks uh, Travis, like, if if he can cure him, and Travis basically, like, a nanosecond later goes, no, no, there's no drama. It's just, and he goes, I, I, I thought not. Yeah, 
It's like yeah. There's yep. no drama. Um, but I also think, too, it, it like looking at it, like, in addition to resembling the real-life John Merrick, I also feel like it fits within, like, David Lynch mold of things. Like, it fits in that ouvre, um, right. if you will. Um, but thinking about it, like, um, I was also thinking about Todd Browning's Freaks watching this movie, which is another movie I would love to talk about at some point. Again, bring back Todd Browning. But... Because like when you hear freaks, right? Freaks is such like a like a very a loaded term. Yeah, it's a very intense word. Okay. But when you watch freaks, when you watch freaks, like they're pretty like they're just like okay, they're just regular people. They just happen to be working in a in a sideshow. Like at the at the very end of the movie, it's like oh my god! But they're really like spoiler. They're seeking vengeance against the asshole of the movie. Really, there's no like. You know, so I was thinking of, uh, it almost feels like a, not a spiritual, like a spiritual, like a, if you had a double, another like double feature. Like a successor, maybe? Like a successor in some ways, um, because, you know, other than the marketing for Freaks, maybe, and what, like, MGM, because MGM wanted it to be like, you know, right. make Dracula kind of money. They brought the director of Dracula, you know, they wanted it to be a horror movie, but it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't really get that horrific in that movie. Um and same thing with this movie. It's it's a bio, it's it's a it's a like a, his, a historical biog- biography like biopic right? kind of thing. Like, but it has that. It, it kind of you could almost argue if you've never seen it, you could look at it and be like, is this a scary movie? Like, there's a guy in a hood and it's called the Elephant Man. It's like, nope. Um, it kind of made me think of, you know, and it, it's only just now that I'm thinking about this. It kind of made me think of the whale. To a certain extent, because I don't, I, mean, I don't know if you've watched that yet, but I haven't seen it yet. No, but in the, in a very similar sense, because I mean, you have you have Brendan Fraser playing the character of Charlie, who's um, depressed and essentially killing himself by ex- excessively eating and becoming overweight, and he becomes the whale. And a very similar situation, you have an actor in this extensive, realistic prosthetic uh, playing a character. Who is not, who is really feeling nothing but tragic at the moment, and um, you know, the movies are very different. They play out very different to a certain extent, but there's some there's a, I think a thematic similarity in that uh, there's these two characters who um, have nothing like I mean they're again they're very different characters. I think Charlie is a, a regretful character, whereas John is um, a character who's just now experiencing positivity for once and but i think the moving performances of both brendan fraser and and john hurt i think are similar in that right and the makeup effects are incredible and so i was so like i'm thinking about it i'm like you know that makes me think of the whale a little bit which is it's a it's a genuinely solid movie i know it's got like it's controversies and understandably so but i think the the moving nature and the 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 it wears its emotions on its sleeve and stuff it's 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 a pretty good movie i like it but with this with this one um it's like moment after moment you're you're feeling nothing but like just love from john like you know even even when he doesn't understand that maybe he's being exploited in a different way you know which you don't want you don't want any of that to happen to him obviously but when there's genuine like moving moments like with the theater actor with uh anthony hopkins wife in the film um 
it's moments like that that I think for me just makes me fall in love with him as a character and again puts him into that group of you know like kind of pure soul characters and I I even love the scene when you know he's he is scared to death when we first when he's first at the hospital like he is terrified to express himself in any way because he he's only ever known pain and so when uh right uh anthony hopkins boss is like hey um i would like to meet this guy and then he's like uh all right how about in a couple of days he's like no tomorrow oh shit i mean yeah sure uh cool (laughs) so then he he essentially like tries to coach him yeah with that preconceived notion that he is probably an imbecile, but the thing is, he's just fucking terrified. Um, <laughs> he's like, yeah. So then they, mm-hmm. the, the, he goes through the whole thing, and he's like, "Am I doing this right?" And he, and you know, obviously, the boss catches on during the interview, and he's like, "Yeah, how much? Well, how much of this did you teach him?" And then he starts reciting the Bible, but he's reciting passages that you know he was not taught by by Travis. And so uh, they're like in shock, like, what? And he's like, I used to read it all the time. It was one of my favorites, that passage. And it was like, it was like at that moment that I, I think you're just like, this, this is the most amazing person ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, no, it, it, it's an, it really is an incredible movie. Um, Obviously, all around. I mean, the cinematography, the acting, of course. Um, I love the elephants, like the the whole opening bit with the elephants, mm. like which again feels the most David Lynch you could ever feel in this whole movie. Which is which is funny because I was watching that archival bonus feature, and John Merrick oh, attested to the fact that his mom had an encounter with an elephant. Which people say might not have been far from the truth because there was an escaped elephant near where they lived or something like that at one point, but it probably didn't wasn't the cause of w- what happened with, yeah. with John. But it's it's like it, it is it is kind of sorry. You go ahead. You go yeah. No, it's just kind of wild that that, that those events even like, took place. Line, you know. Line, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because it it does feel kind of like hyperbolic just to be like this man's mother was destroyed by an elephant henceforth he looks like this and it's like sure (laughs) (laughs) okay oh man (laughs) fine fine all right i see what you're trying to say there and so uh i think that's all we have to really say about this uh about this one um you know it's it's a great movie where would you put it on your where would you put it on your your Lynch sort of experience? Probably, probably at the higher end. Um, I also, yeah, I would put the higher end. You know, it's one one of the more like mainstream Lynch movies. Like I've also heard that about the Straight Story, which is on Disney Plus actually, mm. uh, which is a Disney movie. Um, but I also wanted to mention too that um, this movie, uh, in some way, helped the Oscars. Help the Oscars create the category for best makeup because people were upset that this movie was not recognized in that department at the Oscars. And so the next following year, um, they created the, the makeup category and American Werewolf was the first one. Rick Baker won the first Oscar for best makeup. Deservedly so. 
deservedly so. But um, so again, Christopher Tucker is one of those like you know trailblazer trailblazer in his own mm-hmm. his own sense. Now now they need to do that for stunt people. Yes, I agree with that one hundred and ten percent for sure. Get where's that category? Uh, Academy. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> let us get on that. But anyway, we're gonna take a we're gonna take an intermission. Um, but we're going to go to deep inside the catacombs of the Paris Opera House. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how he laughs. Is it more like? <laughs> That's closer. Like that. uh, That's closer. I would say. Okay. Anyway, stay tuned. Okay. I I, I wanted to try. All right. <laughs> <laughs> And we are back again to talk to you. This bum, show bum. of ours is... I don't know the rest of the words I was going to say. But now we're here to talk about a show. The Phantom of the Opera is there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You know what? I'll, I'll. You know, I'm thinking about a commercial. I, I have. I watch some like I love watching like Broadway commercials. Yeah. Because again, you know, because they're fun, <laughs> and the Phantom ones are fun, and I love uh, when they're like Broadway's longest running musical ever. There's still only one Phantom. <laughs> it wasn't a bump. Beep, beep. <laughs> all right. Just, just for, in all seriousness, just for context, in case yeah. you're wondering why we're beeping a lot, <laughs> we were randomly talking the other day, and then we started singing theme songs. <laughs> like humming and doing like noises and we we're trying to guess what they were <laughs> and joey does uh be our guest for beauty and the beast and there's a bit in this in the song where it goes ding or like little beep and so he goes it's like because i'm doing it my, my worst jerry orbach <laughs> and it was the funniest thing it's like just the little beep. <laughs> and I had to show it to Richard just to prove him that there was a little twinkle in Be Our Guest. <laughs> it was the deepest but... pride and greatest pleasure. <laughs> that we beep. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, just to put but... some context. Anyway! Joe Dinny Dan. Yeah. I feel like you've been waiting for this this moment. I might have ruined it a little bit with some weirdness, but I feel like you've been waiting for this moment for a long time on our podcast. <laughs> it's about what I expect. It's okay. <laughs> this is, listen, folks, if you don't know Joey, this this is something that he is 
got a lot of love for not necessarily the specific one but like this show these these songs he has a lot of love nostalgia like this this almost feels like the quintessential like if batman for me it's like yeah you could say king kong or planet of the apes but i feel like this in many ways is also like if not more so like it's the cer- thing it's like if i had, had like an echelon of like favorite characters like king kong indiana jones the Phantom of the Opera is certainly in that conversation, and the musical is a big part of that. Of it's, a, it's, it's a very big part of that, and so like this is this is this is the big. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but like, this is this is a big thing. I want it to be known. It is, and it's one of those things too where um, I also wanted to do this because um, as we're recording this, the Broadway show is getting ready to close after running for 35 years on Broadway as the longest running show in Broadway history. Um, are you okay? It looks yeah. like you, did you spill something? No, I was looking at my leg. Oh, okay, cool. My leg, my leg. But like the Phantom is like you know for both of us like there hasn't been a Broadway without Phantom of the Opera because it's been running since '88. Um, and I, my exposure to it obviously because I knew some of the songs, but uh, there was a chain of like local places called the Broadway Grill. And it was a really nifty little place. They'd always play Broadway tunes. The menu was a playbill, okay? That's pretty and cool. And, of course, because, okay, like, again, like, you have to understand, like, the 80s and 90s, the mega, like, Les Mis, Cats, Phantom of the Opera, Miss Saigon, right? These were big shows. They had big set pieces, okay? Um, and Phantom's certainly famous for that, which we'll get to that. But back then, Phantom wasn't the longest-running show. It was, like, the third longest-running. Cats was number one, then it was Les Mis, then Phantom. And then Phantom, in 2006, overtook Cats and has been, as you know, getting ready to close. Um, I've seen the Broadway production five times. It is my favorite show, easily. And I think I can say that with confidence as somebody who... You know, I don't see every Broadway show, but I've seen enough Broadway shows living close enough to New York City to where I can say is it's it's Phantom. Um, Phantom so of I'm, the Opera. Sorry, but why are we talk? Why else are we talking about this other than to um, to please me? Is because <laughs> Christ- <laughs> why else are we talking about this other than to please me? What else could there be? <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To all those that listen to our show that hate how I laugh so often, (laughs) this is for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, well, because Christopher Tucker designed the makeup for the Phantom of the Opera. Now, I have, because... (laughs) <laughs> I have the complete it's a book by George Perry this is an old book this is out of print I got it for like two dollars it looks nice this is the complete it's very nice I have to show, show it to you um, the complete fan of the opera I'm going to read an excerpt from this please do okay um, because among the so quote among the many technical complications was the makeup of the phantom Christopher Tucker who devised the deformed features displayed by John Hurt in the film The Elephant Man was engaged to design a horrific head which had to be applied to Crawford's own features six times a week. There were endless journeys from London to Tucker's Berkshire base for a period of three months. The design could not have been 
could not have the subtlety of film makeup, but instead had to be capable of making the audience, even in the back of the upper circle, recoil in disgust without forfeiting sympathy for the misshapen Eric. Unquote. Crawford, by the way, being the original um, Phantom of the Opera, uh, who has appeared on our show on because of Wally, because of the, you know, Hello Dolly. There's lots bits, of world uh, out there. Just wanted to read that expert because the makeup, I mean, obviously, because when you have the Phantom of the Opera, but the big thing is disfigured musical genius and this also gets into the logo which we're going to get into the main show but the logo <laughs> of the show is a full white mask right it's yep. a very it's iconic yeah all right but in the show the phantom does not wear that mask he wears a half and mask. that's because he wears a half mask because it's much easier for him to perform okay it is very difficult to express emotion with a full mask. So the half mask is done. But even then, it's a difficult process. And especially when they were just getting the hang of that makeup early on. It took hours. You mm -hmm. know, whoever was playing the Phantom had to come really early. And they had to have two wigs, the makeup, two microphones, some of the costumes the Phantom has to wear. The Phantom has to wear that heavy red death costume. They, had, they tried out contact lenses and stuff i don't know if they still do that but like michael crawford had to be led on stage sometimes because he could not see i don't know if they that was something that made it through i forget if they made it through rehearsals or whatever but i'm like can you imagine all of that and this is a character who when you really think about it is a lead of course but he doesn't he's not on stage a lot his presence is but, but not him himself not the phantom himself um but beyond that the Phantom of the Opera, obviously, one of the longest-running shows ever. And not even just that. It is one of the most successful pieces of entertainment ever. I think its grosses exceed, like, $5 billion. Damn. Or something like that. From all the productions around the world, um, because there are many, over 140 million people have seen it. It's been, you know, so many, so many, so many productions. Um, but, you know, a number of years ago was the 25th anniversary of the original West End the basically London's Broadway, the original West End production of Phantom. So they wanted to do a um, a a special like film, not just like a filmed version, but like a special like you know staging of it. Well, they were going to do it at the Royal Albert Hall, which is where this um, this um, you know staging of Phantom takes place. And the thing is, the Royal Albert Hall is not a traditional like theatrical venue. And they there's a if you ever watch like the featurette on the Blu-ray for for this um, 25th anniversary concert, they had to make a lot of like adjustments and they had to use screens because Phantom is a very technically complicated show. Yeah. They couldn't do they have a chandelier, but they couldn't have the chandelier drop. No, they just kind of blew that's like, it up, like sparks. They exploded, sparks, sparks and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they they had a lot of like technical complications to bring this to. Um, the Royal Albert Hall, and that's how we have the filmed version of uh, of this uh, beloved musical. Because there were also like Les Mis like concerts, like there was like a 10th anniversary, and I think there was a 25th anniversary Les Mis that were, I think one of them or both of them were at Royal Albert Hall, okay. but they were just standing. They were just standing there. There wasn't like it wasn't like Phantom where Phantom was, it was like it was like a, a stage concert. show. Yeah, it wasn't like a performance. Uh, uh, I mean, it was a performance, but it, it wasn't like acting. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a core, like, at least as far as I remember. And that was one of the things that they had talked about. So, Phantom of the Opera, 
Um, <laughs> we've talked about this story before because we talked in one of our older episodes. We talked about it um, as the Lon, the Lon Chaney silent version. Was that the first episode that Allison did with us? Yes, it was. That Look, was the first episode Allison was on. Shout out to Allison. Uh, Phantom of yes, shout out to Allison. Phantom of the Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phantom of the Opera. It's you know it's about, just to summarize it because the story is very basic. It's about a disfigured musical genius who falls in love with a young ingenue, uh, Christine Daae. Okay, and he pretends to be the angel of music, this spirit that her father, her dis- now long dead father, talked about often. That don't worry, child, the angel of music will teach you music, and you know he'll be na- a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And the Phantom is taking taking advantage of this. Um, what a you know, dick! He kind of a dick, but he was also extremely lonely. Uh, <laughs> a he lonely lives in the basement. Dick. You know, one of the few tenants that's able to take take advantage of their landlord. Basically, <laughs> I've seen that pop up on Twitter. <laughs> I, I think he's really funny. But basically, like the like the Phantom. But things are the Phantom thinks. All right, I'm going to be able to get her. But there's a problem, uh, and that problem is Raúl. Raúl is who is a rich guy. Raul the Vicomte de Changi, uh, who is a rich guy. What's he his is name? the safe choice. Raul the Vicomte de Changi. Okay. All right. I'll just He's a Vicomte. That. The Vicomte is his type. You listen. I'm probably like the Changi <laughs> part. I'm probably not pronouncing listen, properly. But you're already whatever. doing a significantly better job than I would have done trying to say whatever that was. I, listen, the problem my is. Mother, seen, I don't know if you can uh, hear, but my mother is whispering. What is she whispering? She's saying. She's saying, no, we already ate dinner. She's saying, I love you. I believe. Wait, hold on. What? Oh, good night. I love you. I love you. Gotta go to bed early? Why? I'm so sorry. Love you. Love Joey. Night. She loves you. I love her, too. Anyway. <laughs> um, so... You know, and so this forms a love triangle, of course, and the Phantom is jealous, and, you know, he is threatening the new, there's new management at the opera, shenanigans happen, chandeliers crash, you know, People unrequited die. love. It's a very, uh, and I think that's one of the keys to Phantom success, is that is an extremely, extremely simple story. Mm. Is it your favorite version of Phantom? Is that a dumb question? That's... It's hard to say because I I love I think like it's kind of a weird like three way thing between the musical, the Call Cheney version, and like a Phantom of the Paradise triangle, a love triangle. <laughs> so wait, which one's Raúl? Um, <laughs> you know what? I think I think I think Raúl is is the Cheney version. Uh, the Phantom is Phantom of the Paradise, and then Christine is the Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I've seen all of um, these, and I think that makes sense. Yeah. So actually, technically, this is the technically the third technically the third iteration of like the Phantom stories mm-hmm. that we've talked about. Um, but um, obviously, like they assembled a really good cast. Ramin Karimlu and Sierra Bagues have both played the part parts of Phantom and Christine many, 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 many times, mm-hmm. um, and. They're they're amazing. They're great, and they got a really great cast um, supporting them. But I wanted to, 
Um, I wanted to hear from you a little bit because um, it's easy enough for me to say like how much I love the show, but I wanted to, like from your perspective, because you know Phantom through more osmosis. I'm a, I know osmosis. it. I know it from you. You're my cultural osmosis, really. Most because most of my experience with Phantom of the Opera, I, I might have mentioned this even in past episodes where we talked about this similar thing, but. Uh, I immediately think of Phantom of the Megaplex, which is a Disney Channel movie. <laughs> and I relate to it now so much more because I work at a movie theater. Um, sure. But, uh, basically, there's a big movie premiere happening. I want, you know what? I want to see like a, a big budget remake of that one for the for the big screen. <laughs> Just Phantom of the Megaplex based on the Disney Channel movie. Let's make it happen, folks. Uh, that that would be incredible. <laughs> it's just a movie theater, like an AMC, and Nicole Kidman's in it, so she, so, so she can do her whole thing, because that would be funny. Uh, <laughs> and then just the Phantom of the Megaplex. <gasps> oh, no! Um, I actually kind of want to watch that now. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. But we're recording. Shan- chandelier, crashes, chandelier crashes feel good in a place like this. <laughs> You know what the funny thing is? Their chandelier is a giant inflatable Godzilla-looking thing, <laughs> which is beautiful. Um, that's but like I was always familiar with the story because you know it's it's that kind of basic like you were saying, guy in like a white mask and like a black outfit that's very mysterious, uh, is ruining some sort of like performance or something for some reason. Like I never knew the like specifics outside of you know the versions that we'd seen and then uh as far as the musical is concerned i knew some of the songs because i remember when i was in high school and i took a theater tech class and it was it was very like like musical sort of stage production sort of and it was a very new class it was literally me and three other people i was the only guy um and it sounded like something kind of cool. I was curious about it. I was like, okay. And the the teacher was the choir teacher, who was really nice. And I remember for one of the lessons, I almost, it, like, I, in retrospect, it almost made me want to be like, if I ever become a teacher, if I ever tried to do that, I'd want to, like, start my own class. Like, okay, we're going to learn about this specific thing, because that could be cool. And then, like, I only get yeah. to do it. I'd probably only get to do it for, like, one year if they approve, but hey. I got to do it. I hope they still have theater tech class at my old high school, but I'm not going to find out anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> but um, I remembered for one of the assignments that we had to sing a song from a musical, which I'd never really sang in public before. As you know from this this podcast especially, I do like to sing. But You do. This is very <laughs> true. I think you're very good at it, actually. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but... At that time, I was never really like I I I like to sing, but I never really considered myself a good singer. I still don't necessarily, but that might be imposter syndrome. Um, but uh, basically, we had to pick a song to sing, but it had to be like a solo song. It couldn't be like a duet or anything. It had to. It couldn't have speaking in it. It just had to be like a straight song. And sure. I was clueless. At the the only thing I I knew of really a lot of was Sweeney Todd because at the same time Sweeney Todd was just out like coming out in theaters and I was excited about it I was like oh Sweeney Todd but there's no solos really in Sweeney Todd and so it kind of bummed me out I was like well I guess I can't sing Sweeney Todd there's no freaking solos but 
I remembered Phantom of the Opera, and I knew there was the one song, Music of the Night. And that's a pretty famous song from Phantom of the Opera. So I was like, maybe I'll try this one. And so I listened to a bunch of different versions on YouTube at the time, the way YouTube was at the time. Like, I, li- I listened to the Gerard Butler version. I listened to a couple of the... I think it might have listened to the Michael Crawford version. Um, mm. And his voice is way too high-pitched for me. <laughs> like, I, I can... I can Love <laughs> where? <laughs> like I could get I could get to a certain register, but not that high. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. But it it really is like like a like a scary, sexual, enticing song, really. And uh, it's pretty at the same time. Like there's there's like an intensity to it, but it's kind of underlined. But it's also like, oh, it's like very moving and very like. Like I, I am doing motions again. This would be better if this was a video thing, but um, like the it, it has a lot going for it. And so I remember singing it, and um, my teacher was like, apparently incredibly impressed that she wanted me to join choir, and I was like, no, because <laughs> I was stupid. Um, but also I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a social person, so I, I don't know. I, I never was one of those kids that immediately was like, I'm going to find my group and uh, I won't be the weird kid anymore. I was just like, I'll just be afraid. and just languish as the weird kid. <laughs> I'll just be afraid. I'll just be afraid. It's okay. It's not. But um, yeah, was, high school wasn't fun <laughs> in certain respects. Uh, it's probably why people thought I was like a serial killer apparently there's a whole story to that <laughs> like i had a teacher ask me not to go off on this tangent but i had a teacher ask me once if i liked killing people and i was like where did you hear that what a, Good te- grief. a, a, a math teacher asked me this a math teacher <laughs> not that any other teacher would be less bogus but what <laughs> It's like really random. Um, like I'm sorry, I wear I'm, I'm sorry, I wear dark clothes and I walk around. But hey, anyway, away from that. You walk around. <laughs> Imagine like, a person having to walk to class. Shit, this kid's trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he's not floating like the rest of us or running. <laughs> he's not just gliding with his fucking heelys or some shit. I don't even know if heelys were a thing back then. They probably weren't. Um, but. No, high school is weird. Anyway, but I had that one mm-hmm. nice memory about singing music of the night. That was really the first time I was like, maybe I am actually pretty good at this. So, Phantom Phantom helped me discover something about myself in in, in a weird way. So, I, I'm glad. Uh, thank you for telling that story. I don't think I ever knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, minus all the other like shenanigans, because I was a weird kid and I was too afraid to talk to people a lot that they were like. Oh, he must be killer. Um, s- stupid. But I've, I, I, I am a lot more social now. Just so you know. <laughs> any, any of my teachers listening to this, hey, guess what? Um, I just didn't want to have to talk to everybody. Anyway. Sure. Um, but I never... But like that was really my only major experience with the musical Phantom of the Opera. Which is the, that long-winded story. <laughs> um, but... I feel like I I feel like Phantom never really came back into my life until you because like I knew like obviously I knew Phantom of the Opera was a big thing for you and I knew like 
just like King Kong, Planet of the Apes, Indiana Jones, like these are all like inherently schlock. These are all things that are inherently ingrained in the DNA of Joe Dinny Dan. And there'd be there'd be there was times, um, period, like especially in the last couple of years, because there was definitely times where we weren't doing anything, lockdown, um, and so like we would listen to. Remember, I do you remember when we when you showed me Antonio Banderas singing the the title mm-hmm. song like that was pretty cool. Yep, Antonio Banderas is a good singer, by the way. I don't know if he's the best phantom singer, but he's I think he's a good singer nonetheless. But I feel like most of my phantom anything really came through that and I also do like I mean I do like musicals at the same time as well, but I feel like a lot of musical mm-hmm. stuff was that was like again like Sweeney Todd, but also like you know, a creator I liked or an adaption of something that I liked was being turned into a musical. So I would gain interest in that. Like Beetlejuice, obviously, the last couple of years was a big thing for me because, you know, I loved the movie. So then they did a musical and I've been dying to see the musical. And I did. I finally saw it. And it was awesome. Um, so I was, I was glad I finally got got around to doing that. So long story short, uh, this was really my first I guess you could argue my first true experience with the musical of Phantom of the Opera because I'd never even seen the Joel Schumacher movie, um, mm. which sh- shocked you, I think, a little bit. Um, little bit. But I think I, I think I avoided it because I heard how bad it was, and this was mm-hmm. also at a time I was like stupid and I didn't appreciate Joel Schumacher the way that I should have because I do think that he was a great filmmaker. May he rest in peace. But I, I did avoid it. I still haven't seen it, but I am curious about it, even though I know there was, there was, there was one aspect of our viewing was that periodically I'd get Joey going, you know what else I hate about the Joel Schumacher film? <laughs> not to call you out, but it was just funny. Like, again, we're not a show that talks about things that we dislike. Not, not at all. Generally speaking. Really, no. At least not but us. I, no. Um, yeah. But yeah, that movie... And I don't think it's it's entirely Joel's fault, really. No. There's a lot of a lot of factors. I think Andrew Lloyd Webber, obviously the composer for Fan of the Opera, the re, you know huge huge composer, obviously had a lot of control on the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joel Schumacher was even supposed to direct it when they were going to make it like in the 80s or 90s, and they were going to have Sarah Brightman and and Michael Crawford, the originals original stars, but. That didn't happen. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sarah Brightman, they were married, and he wrote this musical for her, and then eventually they got divorced. Ugh. Well, shit. <laughs> yeah. So but, that, so it was kind of like it. they didn't make it for a while. Um, so that is like on the back know. burner, basically. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. But I'd be, I'd be curious to watch it someday. We'll see what happens. Maybe after yeah. Phantom of the Megaplex. Right, right. <laughs> after mm-hmm. my rewatching sure. of that. Um, but no, like... <laughs> I know, like, I know one of the big things with this particular performance, obviously, was that it's in a, because like you mentioned this earlier already, it's just that it was in a setting and a stage that wasn't built for it. But I think I'm, I think I'm more used to that just because, especially, I mean, I haven't had, I've had like one major musical experience, but as far as like any kind of stage thing I've seen, you know, we've, everything I feel like has to have been adapted differently based on how it was on Broadway. So like, you know, when I saw Beetlejuice, it was definitely nowhere near like, like there were so many changes that had to be made simply because it was played at a Playhouse Square Cleveland stage instead of, you know, at the Winter Garden or, or any of the other, I forget the other theater that it moved to, but like, there's a whole scene in the musical where, uh, the Maitlands die, but they die because they fall through the stage but the stage at Playhouse didn't have that, so how do they die? They get electrocuted. 
So that's sort of the the change there. So I was I guess right, I was kinda, right, yeah. I, I guess I was kind of used to that going into it. So I think maybe that worked to my benefit. Yeah, probably. I was yep. kind of bummed that the chandelier didn't fall down because I feel like you talked a big game with that, and then I was like, "When's it falling? When's it falling?" <laughs> and of course, it just went. Psh! But I mean, like, it was, it was it's, good. But honestly, here even even with like the chandelier like that's able to move up and down, I think it's more impressive when it goes up. Mm-hmm. When it goes up, it's so because it looks like it's like broken at first, and then it like it adjusts itself, and you hear that overture. You know, I remember my last last time I saw it, which I hope I win the lottery for the last performance, but might not happen. Listen, um, manifest, get them <laughs> tickets to Joey, manifest. Anyway. So, but the last time I saw it, which actually was another, a lottery, actually, and seeing yeah. it from the side, and there was, like, a glow to it rising that it, it added to, like, okay, we're t- time-traveling back from the turn, of, like, close, like, to the turn of the century or whatever to back to, like, earlier on in the 1800s or, or whatever, yeah. you know, so it was kind of, it was magical, you know, in that way, and I think they do a pretty good job of it for the uh, Royal Albert Hall version, like, that transition, because they have a cover on it, and it moves up. Yeah. I was actually amazed how big that that piece was in the first place. Lot six um, six and a, six, and then <laughs> Earl Carpenter's delivery is amazing. Um, <laughs> the chandelier, I, I believe, if you look at it, uh, I think people have said this. It has name Maria on it. Mm-hmm. That's in honor of Maria Bjornsson, who was the original production designer, extremely talented. And she had passed individual. away before that one, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what she passed away like in the early two thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like. You know, but like a lot of those those costume designs, I actually have like, it's in a tube somewhere, but it's like a, um, it's like a swatch of cloth from like one of the costumes, and it's like one of her like like a sketch, like a like a it, reproduction of a sketch that she did. But like you That's know, really cool. There's something I bought. Yeah, I have to pull it out and find a way to frame it properly. But in any case, what I'm I think what we're trying to say is like a lot of the other part of it isn't just the music; it's the spectacle of it. It is the that mm. the production design of Phantom. Is it, it's like because like I remember I was watching um, Waiting in the Wings. He did a video about the chandelier crash, and uh, which I recommend. I recommend that YouTube channel. Honestly, side note: I don't mean to interrupt. It's but great. Like, it's it's genuinely no, a really good YouTube please. channel. It really, absolutely, um, and like he really he nailed it on the head. Like going to the music, going to a musical in the eighties or nineties was like going to Disneyland. It was like an experience. <laughs> I hope to feel. I hope to feel that one day. <laughs> at least New York someday Broadway I mean not that I didn't appreciate yes. the one that I did because I loved it but you know yeah um for sure but but a lot of it is like like the spectacle stuff and I think um you know some of that a little bit of that is but like I think the scenes that I was really most impressed with how they were able to adapt it was the title song how they're able to have the phantom you know going did the set into the phantom's lair and the boat and have the candelabras like seemingly rise out, and even though there was like screens and stuff, it was it was genuinely really impressive. I mean that that title song is amazing. First of all, that's the, that, it, that the song is. Amazing I mean, too. like, yeah, there's a lot of great music in in the musical, obviously, but uh, I think that one, like that one's just like the best, and, and it's the most like it was funny we were talking about. It, it's the most '80s. Like every other's every uh, every other track in the musical feels like 
you know, like a timeless sort of like typical kind of music, not typical, but like a kind of musical song that you would expect. And then you get synths and you get a guitar riff and then you get uh, an organ, you get like all these insane, you know, very 80s focused instrument, like very specific to like that time period. Like I still remember like there's like, don't, 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 don't. Like I, like I feel like I see that in a horror movie from like 1985. <laughs> and then you, and then this beautiful, um, uh you know in dreams is haunt like that whole, like that whole thing it's like what right what i love the lyrics i love the lyrics of that title song so much uh like the in all your fantasies you always knew that you know, i was I love, a hot I babe shit like that <laughs> yep um but it's, uh, but it's, that, like, it's such a powerhouse of us like a, like you just rock no wonder there's a rock version of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to get Steve Harley uh, to be the Phantom originally. Oof. And they have a music video of him with Sarah Brightman. It's kind of fun, <laughs> honestly, to watch. It's like snakes. <laughs> it is pretty wild. Actually. And he has got like, he's got a different ma- looking mask. Um, it's kind of fun. But like, I-, I think that scene when I showed it is the one that best encapsulates like, I think the Broadway, ver- like the mm-hmm. stage version. I think they were able to really, because that to me is like it's kind of like the stage equivalent of like the, the yellow brick road kind of thing. Yeah, it's just such an iconic image of the yeah. stage. And mm-hmm. there's it 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 to me if there was any like set piece like obviously chandelier is a big one obviously it's part of that but that just just like the descent into the lair and like having the boat is so magical for lack mm-hmm. of a better word it it really is the only way to describe that. Uh, which is funny to think about because early on they had a lot of issues with that boat because it's a remote control thing, and then there would be like a fire, like a, like a signal, and they would like the boat would veer off elsewhere, or like the boat would almost fall off the stage. <laughs> like, we're like, still going on this water path. <laughs> when is this over? I'm waiting. Why is this over yet? <laughs> God damn it! Where are we going? Michael (laughs) Crawford. There is simply no earthly way of knowing. (laughs) No, or Michael Michael Crawford. The (laughs) fuck? Yes! (laughs) The rowers keep on rowing! And they're certainly not showing! To, to get borrow another a different like Gene Wilder movie, Raul is doo doo. <laughs> I am a scientist, not an opera singer. You get more feeling out of this scalpel. <laughs> Beep. It's pronounced. It's pronounced Raul. <laughs> Man, Gene Wilder is the Phantom. Oh, <laughs> could you imagine? I am. You are, Madame Jury. <laughs> 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 and you and Raul were yes yes say it he was um, my boyfriend <laughs> imagine it with the violin too <laughs> yes yes <laughs> but also I mean I think that's a pretty cool scene I think you'll agree with that yes um, I do are, are there other other notable scenes that you really latched onto i know that's like the highlight but other things that stuck out um that's a very good question the masquerade's very good it's like seeing all those costumes 
I was surprised that the skull mask moved by the jaw. Talked. <laughs> it kind of shocked me. Like, yeah, look at that thing. Look so, at that thing. It's so cool. But it's even it's even goofy. It looks goofier on stage because it's like it's lo- looks whiter and like the eyes look darker. So it looks like literally like a goofy talking skull. It's my favorite. It's my favorite costume, but like it's just I, I love it so much. <laughs> it's just like I, I I don't know why it was I I just don't know why it was shocking. It was just like oh the jaw moves. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Um, that was pretty cool though. I liked I, I any time uh, we got to have like uh, the Phantom on the like I guess you know on the roof upper area with with the orchestra that was the way this whole thing was set up anytime it was just his voice that Mm -hmm. was really cool like the the presence of the phantom Mm -hmm. and like especially the way they shot it for this for this pro shot of the royal albert hall performance it's just it was like going through banisters and like a higher area of the seating with the audience and it's like he's lurking Mm -hmm. around you know it's his theater and it's and it's really cool because when you you see it live they have like the phantom's voice like circling like, around spots circling mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's really cool. so it really is like it makes it a more a really immersive what's also creepy too is because like the phantom's walking around he he tugs on the thing where the chandelier <laughs> is so the, so he's, he's like she's singing to bring down the chandelier this is about the stage version like the <laughs> broadway version like he's shaking the thing and you're like oh, oh <laughs> stop it stop it now um but i love I love after like all I ask of you, which by the way, one of my favorite songs in the show, and I've I've already knew it was a great song, but like in my recent like re-listening, it really is such a wonderful song mm-hmm. that could have gone off the rails because I heard what they wanted the r- lyrics originally to be, and it sounded really stupid. <laughs> is that is that the one where? Because I don't know the titles. Love of me, that's all I ask. Of. Is that on the it, rooftop? Uh, that's just um, the one that Phantom's listening in on, and he's like, "What the fuck." He's listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love his 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 version of it. Uh I, lo- I always love the lyrics and I was just like always just love uh I'm not going to sing it cuz I I'm just tired. Copyrights. You will curse the day. You will curse the day you did not do all that the phantom asked of you. I love the way and I, that's also the thing I appreciated more this um in recent viewings of it is the way the different musical motifs sort of interweave and, and merge because obviously the, some of the main ones obviously music of the night phantom phantom of the opera all all i ask of you you know so phantom specifically this musical this is one of those things for you that like the more you watch it the more you discover about it and the more you learn to love it. or maybe even like different viewings give you give you kind of a different appreciation for aspects of it right like you like like you were just saying like you watch this version of it and you hear that song and you're like you know i've always loved this song but now i'm like i I, even more now i'm understanding why i do yeah i like when things do that it's it's always nice because it's like it's nothing much has changed about it's 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 the same thing the same it's the same thing and i've heard it a hundred thousand times but But you've only heard it like i think also too at this point in your life you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you know right um, but it's like, you know, just thinking about like what those lyrics, like, like it really is when you're in love with somebody and like, like it, you really feel that way. Mm-hmm. I, it, I, I feel, but, um, as far as like other things, like other things in the show that I like personally, 
Uh, I always like Point of No Return. That's like the very like sexual sexual song between the fans. Oh and yeah, yes. <laughs> well, though the funny part was because again we were there was a lot of talk about the Joel Schumacher version, <laughs> and then that like like when uh, when Christine comes out and she's wearing a genuinely like whole wow like outfit like and then it just like my first thought was oh if this was 2023 the phantom would be so canceled because <laughs> clearly he's just doing this because he wants clearly he wants christine we've known this the whole time but like it's just like that added element of like of course he's gonna make her be the star of his show and make her wear like a really you know <laughs> kind of like sexy outfit uh-huh. and then immediately it was like uh-huh. wait you told me emmy rossum was 17 <laughs> when they did the movie how did they do this and you're like not well <laughs> not well at all it, it a lot uh like i mean because i think that's the thing you need like phantom is not only romantic but it's also very uh it's also sexual in in that regard like when you listen when you look at music of the night the choreography for music of the night it's very sexual uh with a very he loves he loves Um, the 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 neck he likes to he likes to he likes to (laughs) use his his hand to like glide it across that like bone or whatever in the neck right i also love i mean speaking of inner interweaving like the themes and stuff i love the final layer sequence where you have all the a lot of the different main musical mu- musical motifs i love just like i love that high melodrama mm. of like you know the, like raul has the punjab lasso around his neck and the phantom's giving christine a choice and i just love the lyrics and the performances i took about hadley fraser um as raul fantastic in my opinion um you know real like himbo like <laughs> I'm going to beat up the phantom. Older brother of John Mulaney looking guy. (laughs) (laughs) You did point that out. That was pretty funny. Like they were like, that was so well done. Incredible. And, uh, I, again, going back to Ramin Karamloo and, and Sierra Boggess, they have such great chemistry as the phantom and Christine. A lot of sexual tension. You could do this, a lot of sexual tension and just they're like, I think, that I especially with Remy Cameron, like the Phantom can be played like it can ver- like I feel like if you saw certain versions of the Phantom of the Opera stage show, you'd feel even more so that he should be canceled because he's <laughs> sometimes ang- he's like sounds like angrier in some some of the versions of like, so, like more predatory kind of lost more predatory but also just like like oof this is like hard to hard to like, sympathize you need, with. like whereas, you need to calm Ramin, down my guy <laughs> whereas Ramin does such a fantastic job with all of these elements. He is scary. He is sexy. He is a a, a creature a creature that you pity on some level, mm-hmm. you know. And I do, I think about the scene where he says, "Christine, I love." I I believe that, but I also see Sarah Boggess's face when she like oof every damn time it <laughs> gets me. And and then you hear hear them in the distance singing, you know. All I ask of you, and the Phantom is just a mess. Like his his it. face is out, his hair is weird. I will say the face reveal bit. Not that that's like the most important thing, but like uh, the face reveal bit was a bit too quick. I was like, I wanted there to be more like a, <gasps> like like you like, know, <gasps> like like like, 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 like Lon <laughs> You know what I mean? I immediately Lon Chaney. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> but actually, Robbie needed to just like stay incredibly stiff just and just go, go the camera like slowly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, but 
But like, but when when you got to finally see more of it towards the end, what did you think? It was pretty gnarly, honestly. <laughs> like, I mean, because you see, you see the lip, and because most of the time, because because the rest of it's covered, but you see the lips, and <laughs> like, I thought, wow, this, this guy's so LA. <laughs> Just horrible stereotype. Um, but no, it was like, this guy's so LA. He's got the big lips, probably gets Botox on occasion. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like, the full the full face makeup is, it was pretty insane. And to think, like, this dude, I was already just impressed by the fact that, you know, this dude's got layers. And he has to perform through layers is insane. Like, he's got uh, a bald cap with bad hair and then a wig of good hair on top of that. He's got the prosthetics. He's got like the sort of bit on his forehead, like on the side here. He's got the whole stuff on the cheek that's sort of deformed. He's got the the lip and the kind of like like that alone. Like you're having to manipulate someone's lip just because like listen, I'm bending my lip right now and it's making me sound weird. But he sounded great. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's right. innovative, really. Uh, that you can put prosthetic on someone's lips while they're singing. Granted, most of it's like, ha, you know, like they're carrying a note, but, you know, they still got to like go or like hook, you know, so that that was kind of blowing my mind that he was able to like convey all of that and not feel like pulled because you can you can be too much with makeup and it kind of pulls away from the performance. Like I think of like a recent example, like David Harbour playing Hellboy. I feel Mm -hmm. like there was just too much makeup. Like it was great. It was great right. makeup, admittedly, for all like you know, for a movie that's not amazing, but it's great makeup. And David Harbour's doing the best he can. But again, he's working through so much just to convey anything, and it just feels weird. Like he's being held back by it, and not you know, it's not enhancing anything. It's just pulling back. With with the Phantom, it's it's working really well. But he has that, and then he's got all these wigs on. He's got this whole face prosthetic, which I don't know if he's wearing it the whole time with the mask. I don't know if they thought, well, maybe some scenes. But then again, maybe they had to keep it on the whole time. I imagine they probably had to for just timing reasons. Mm-hmm. And even like a bit of the bald cap is like coming off on the back because there's microphones that have to be like, he's the dude's just like yeah. got a million things on him. And yet he's still able to convey his performance and do such a great job. And there's even like that bit at the end after the show's over. And then they do a little like presentation with Andrew Lloyd Webber and they get all the original phantoms like, my, you know, Michael Crawford and all those. And then uh, the original Christine and they get all these people. And then I, all I can think of is the guy who plays phantom. What's his name? Ramin Karamloom. Thank you. He He's just standing there with the rest of his castmates after you know just listening to andrew lab weber talk and just listen to the whole thing and at the same time i'm just i was thinking he's just standing there with all those layers back on him <laughs> i'm like i want him to be able to go home like uh, there's a bit when he picks up uh sierra bogus and uh, like they're like having fun like a fun little thing and i'm thinking he's he's going i am so tired of this makeup i can't wait to take it off she's like oh i bet <laughs> like, i feel like that's what they said to each other <laughs> but it's incredibly well also you have to remember too th- this is the third performance yeah. in a row that they did for for this um and you have to remember too he's played the phantom in the sequel love never dies mm-hmm. and he's played the phantom in the, in the west end not to mention He's going to be um, in Italy's like first Phantom production. Actually, he's going to play the Phantom in that. It's listen, I, I tip of the hat to him for being able to pull off yes. a genuinely great performance while caked and layered, like literally caked because cakes have layers. Uh, <laughs> 
literally just with a million different things on uh, just on him mm-hmm. not that not that no one else did because every i thought honestly everyone i like sierra bogus i liked what's his name hadley fraser the guy that uh, john bellini's brother yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yes um he was very good like the the whole cast was very good the co- like that's like i like you were talking about spectacle earlier i think the spectacle of it all is was was exciting and then just seeing the the that's i think that's always just the, my favorite thing about broadway in general it's just you know obviously there has to be this sort of like it heightened reality or sort of melodrama to it to convey because like it's already like crazy enough the the notion of okay when we're emotional we're gonna sing like like just that notion alone like is odd but in a, in a in a hyper realistic sort of melodramatic sense it works perfectly and i've always yeah. liked i've always just preferred that so <laughs> when it comes to like the, the storytelling because it's just more fun just to be like instead of just going mm-hmm. oh, i'm so sad right now to be like oh no <laughs> yeah it's so much more fun the other way <laughs> and i think the phantom of the opera is sort of the ultimate in that because mm-hmm. The story's incredibly simple. You know, so these characters, there's not a whole lot of depth to them, but that's not the point. The depth is not the point here. The point is you're feeling their feelings. You know exactly how they're feeling and the, the, the sets add to the high drama. Like I think about, I, I think about just literally any scene with the Phantom, yeah. obviously it's just like, Ooh, it's, and so it's sort of like the, 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 like the, the poster child for a musical, in my opinion. Uh, and I, th- I think that's also part of its, um, it's, it's Part like of its um, success. yeah. It's like uh, in any other instance, you like in literally any other setting outside of a musical or even a film, and you see a character like Phantom, you'd probably just be like, "Dude, get over yourself, <laughs> calm down, yeah. Jesus Christ, you fucking weirdo." <laughs> but but in the sense of a musical, because he's he's pining over Christine, and he's like, "Only then can you belong to me." Like it, it, it works a lot better. Yes, and it's it's very yes. good. So I did. I had a lot of fun with this. I will say, and I said this to you while we were while we were watching it. Like I think when it comes to musicals, structurally speaking, I think it's probably just an H, a, part of my ADHD nonsense. But like, I feel like I get a more of a sensory overload when they do like mostly singing musicals. Like I think of like there's some differences here and there, but like you know, obviously like. Hamilton or Les Mis that's like just singing or whatever throughout the entire thing there's times when, when I'm watching it and they're singing all on top of each other different things which is you know to convey like oh shit oh, there's a lot going on like that feels like a bit of an sequences. overload yeah yes like, which is. the note sequences are cool absolutely. when like they're reading the notes and then the voiceover of the phantom goes over and you just hear like you must do this or I will destroy your show. You know, that, like, that whole thing. Um, a disaster beyond imagination will occur. Hell yeah. I, I just want there to be one guy in the corner that's just really turned on by that idea. Just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, my guy. Jesus. That's, she's trying to rile me up, aren't you? <laughs> oh, man. But, um. I think it, I think it's just because structurally speaking that feels a bit a, like a lot for me personally, but I probably could get used to it the more I experience yeah. it. But um, right, because like you know, obviously I'm so used to like you know, it's funny. Like I think of like Aladdin or like Disney musical like animation movies, and I'm like, oh, you know, Aladdin, but Aladdin has like three songs 
in its entire like like it's a Disney musical, but there's like three or four songs in the whole thing. It's, it's a lot of it. There's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. It's a lot of dialogue, so it's weird to call it like a musical, but it is technically a musical. Yeah. But I guess I'm just because I grew up with that sort of understanding of musical, where it's more dialogue heavy. You know, I think I'm getting more used to like. I, I, I'll get to a certain point where maybe I'll get more used to it. So it's really just a me thing. So I don't think there's inherently any problem with it, structurally speaking. It's just, for me, I get a bit of a, it feels like a sort of a sensory overload because there's just so much happening in one scene and I'm trying to track it. And I'm like, I hate this. Stop doing right. this. For, for a first for a first time viewer, it's it's intimidating. Yeah. Um, but if you, if, I'm, would you watch this again? Not obviously now, but right like, now. What we're recording? Future. <laughs> yeah, let's put Richard. I got my Blu-ray. Let's do let's this. Let's do this. Uh, yeah. No, I would watch it. Most likely, it would just be like if you wanted to watch it, and I'd be like, yeah, let's watch it on my own. Um, mm. I would probably watch it, but I think, uh, like, in all honesty, I'd probably be more likely to watch it if I was just watching it with you. Like, if you just wanted to watch it, and I'd be like, yeah, sure, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but on my own, That's fair. Um, I would. I definitely think I would watch it. It would just have to be like I'd have to be in the moment. Or I could see like if you just watch select scenes, like oh, I imagine I'd, you probably I, watch I would. The title I would. Track. I would watch Sierra Bogus dance in that one dress. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Oh, yep. That's true too. Mm-hmm. No. In all seriousness, um, no. I would. I would definitely. I think I would definitely watch some select scenes. I definitely love. Like obviously, the whole title song is fantastic. The music of the night. You know, some of the later songs. I genuinely, I genuinely had a good time with it. Um, it was just, it was just. I feel like it's, it was sort of a strange thing because you, we've talked so much about this. I feel like, and we've talked, and mm-hmm. obviously on the show we've talked about two separate versions, and it was just sort of strange to think, wow, this is the first time I've experienced the musical of fan. Like we've been friends for so long, it'd be like if I showed you a Batman right. movie right now. <laughs> Like, could you imagine how strange that would be? <laughs> it would be very weird. Yeah. So it's it's just surprising it took so long, but I'm glad it did. Yeah, I'm 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 glad we uh, we were able to do this. Um, and again, just to, to tie into the themes of the episode, it just so happens that like both of these stories have a, a deformity or disfigurement of some kind. One of them yes. being based on a very real person. The other one being a fictional character from like a pulp mystery writer. Um, <laughs> You know, which I think that's also the other appeal for me for fan. I was just saying, it's just it is different sort of approaches to like characters who are deformed. Uh, But both brilliantly done uh, by late great Christopher Tucker, as far as the makeup's concerned. I mean, that the Phantom makeup. Let me see if I can pull up just for your your sake, just for me, Um, not for anyone else, just for you. No, you can you 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 can join Uh, along, but it's just for me. Damn it! So here's Michael Crawford. Okay. That's pretty. That's pretty wild. That's Michael Croft, and then sorry guys, this is a lot of like page crumpling. But here's like the whole process. Oh, the whole process. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. It's it goes. It's a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And I think um, people like that should be appreciated more. Like, there's so many like people like below the line talent or people behind the scenes that are not, you know, they're not the star, they're not the director, they're not the producer. And I think this episode's really just wanted to to highlight makeup artists, um, something that. Makeup artists, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad, listen, you know, for this, we get to talk about somebody like... Sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. There might be a delay, because we're... <laughs> there's some, like, you know, uh, we're fuzzy on the phones right now. Um, okay. But, uh, right. but no, like, makeup artists are... I mean, you can look at, like, you know, 
all types of different movies and be like, oh, they're probably just like trying to make people look good for camera. And yeah, but then there's obviously movies where it's like there's extensive makeup work. And it's it almost feels like it's a lost art form nowadays with digital technology. Like there's still a few instances here and there where we're getting, you know, fully, you know, realized makeup type things but you know i it's it's nice when it's not it's it's nice and exciting to see you know movies where like you have like i think of like all the different things that doug jones have had to wear for guillermo del toro movies mm-hmm. um and how extensive but also kind of brilliant stuff like that is like makeup artists ha- are so integral for so many different reasons um not even just with prosthetics but also like i was saying like like makeup and just making people look good on camera because like inherently humans are gross looking (laughs) admittedly with a little bit of a little bit of powder a little bit of blush you look camera ready you're good to go and Mm -hmm. so there's a lot to appreciate with that because you got to remember there's so many factors that come into play and you don't realize it initially because you're just amazed by what you're seeing on screen. But like, there's lighting technicians, there's key grips, there's makeup artists, and you know, listen, look at those credits when the movies are done playing. Look at who, look at all those names, because all those people worked to make this thing what it is. And especially when you think about a stage production too, like every, like sometimes twice a day, a bunch of people have to make sure things go right Mm -hmm. um they have to make sure the costumes costumes are fine they have to make sure the lighting is gonna work like phantom is a very technical show they gotta make sure the chandelier works they have to make sure the actors are actually on stage like on time like there's like schedules just like there's um there's a a story about like one of the phantoms there's like there's like an angel piece like that comes down after like enduring all i ask of you and the phantom's been on there the whole time mm-hmm. there was a point they couldn't get it back up so the phantom was there in- during intermission just hanging out on this angel thing <laughs> like so many things can go like, Wait, like am i go wrong. what's going um, on here guys <laughs> so it's appreciation for for the people the folks um who are not the headline the headliner but they are the supporting cast if you will Mm-hmm. They make it. They make it work. They make it come to life. Also, shout out to all the the, the, the like we talked about the note scenes. Like people like Carlotta, Pianji, the managers. They're all really funny. And the like when you get get those parts right, it's so good. Yes. But anyway, I, I didn't get to mention them enough. Um, folks, uh, have do you like Elephant Man? Do you like Phantom of the Opera? What's your favorite makeup in a movie? Yes. What's your favorite makeup in a movie? What's your favorite stage musical? Also, we'll just have to yeah. throw that in there because of our second feature. Um, please uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have we each have a letterbox YouTube channel, um, and that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature. Check us out next. Have time. a good night, everyone. Da, 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 da. Beep. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do. We love you both so much. And, of course, stay tuned for a brand-new episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature.